Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to this Christmas episode of the Good Food Podcast. I'm Tom Kerridge, and in this episode, our very own Malika Basu sits down with Jamie Oliver in his restaurant, where she finds out what makes Jamie's Christmas special and his explosive cooking disaster. Jamie, it is very, very nice to have you on the BBC Good Food podcast. Thank you. And what a special day this is. It's a big day. Yeah, we're opening the restaurant. And uh, yeah, this is kind of my second coming. So born in the industry. Um, set up 15, like 23 years ago or something like that. And uh, and then obviously opened uh, various restaurants uh, throughout the sort of decades that followed, but lost them all about five years ago, sadly. So um, it's a funny feeling being a chef and not having a restaurant. So this is my comeback because it's more than just cooking. It's more than just food. It's like a community of team trying to like, what, who, why are we doing it? What's the food? What's the point? How does it feel? So yes, I'm, I feel a bit older and wiser, a bit more battle-hardy and uh, ready to go again. Sounds amazing to me. Tell me a little bit about your inspiration behind this. So what inspired you? Um, well, this restaurant really is a homage to my mum and dad. Um, I grew up in a little pub in Essex uh, all my life. Mum and dad ran the pub, which is called the Cricketers in Clavering for... 46 years they've retired now and they've sold the pub but this really like I never realized how pioneering they were when I was a kid and I was their teenage son and when I moved to London at the age of 19 I learned pretty quickly that mum and dad had been doing something very special I thought it was normal to have seven chefs working in a pub kitchen I thought it was normal to bake bread every day uh, normal to butcher all your own meat and have a pastry section. And of course it's not. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> so the not. Food, the, food here, <laughs> the food here is kind of like, kind of the greatest hits of my childhood and a little bit of 15, a tiny bit of barbacoa, 
a little bit of James Italian, but mainly my childhood from the age of 12 to 18 before I moved to London. Tell me about some of the inspiration behind the menu, because I have spotted a few seasonal specialties. Yep. Uh, there's some lovely sustainable local sourcing, and I know you're a big fan and supporter of yeah. British producers. Of this project at Catherine Street, and kind of it being my second chance, uh, you know, coming back into it, which, you know, ha has various emotions. I think I didn't, I didn't want to design this place to be cool, contemporary, fashionable right those emotions honestly didn't come into the brief in how it looks and how the menu, menu reads I wanted it to be like an old friend I wanted it to be really focused on soulfulness and comfort and warmth and like and hopefully the the, the, the menu sort of reflects that like it's mainly Anglo-French with a little bit of Italian so much less Italian than people Definitely. maybe take me for but you know, it's it's internally I sort of just call it like '80s chic, but you know, <laughs> just it's, is that a good thing? I think I think so. Well, my '80s my '80s chic was good. You see, hey, I mean, mine too. Beauty, Come on. beauty was in the eye of the beholder, but um, I mean, there was some nasty stuff happening in the '80s. Don't, don't get, say don't you get wore me. shoulder pads and all. We're wearing off topic, by the way. No, no, I didn't have shoulder pads, but my mother did, and she had some serious curlers, and she was like the classic. You know, landlady. Have they been in here, by the way? Have mum and dad been in to see? Today, to not taste? yet. Like today will be the first day. They're like the guests of honor, really. Are they going to love um, it, the one? No, they all love it. And obviously, like, I never, mum and dad worked so hard, dad particularly, and they were like a real team. And like, dad was early till late. Mum would kind of come down. She'd look after the kids, obviously, who were upstairs, but mum would like get glammed up every night, come down stunning. You know, hello Sally, hello Sally, like you know, holding court. Oh, I so love like, her. I think people like a really well-run pub is, and we were a food pub, which I thought was normal, but wasn't. Um, it was uh, busy. You know, we were doing like 150 covers a night, like standard. You know, at the weekends maybe another 100 covers more. And I lived above it, so I went to bed as a kid with the noise, the rumble of the pub. And um, and in those days, they'd all be smoking pipes, cigars, Gosh, you know, like, and, 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 you know, also pubs are beautiful places, like everyone's welcome. I mean, it, they're quite, I mean, a pub is quite, British people might not know it if they haven't traveled a lot, but like pubs are really globally unique, I think. Totally. Like, and such sort of heart of the community type things, aren't they? Yeah. Absolutely. And so hospitality really runs in your blood. Definitely. I mean, you can't extricate yourself, can you, for long? No. No, not really. And I think, like, you know, like the first time that we did the restaurants, uh, James Italian, Barbacoa, Union Jacks, like we got all the hard stuff right. Mm. And we got all the kind of academic old school stuff not quite right. Like, And so I think, you know, I'm still proud of what we've done and I'm kind of ready to go again. And I think, um, it's, and, and now more than ever, it's about people. It's about, it's about having a team that um, really gets the food, gets the energy. And, and really, literally what we want to do is just serve people and look after them, love Sounds them. Sounds great. And, and, and make them feel like cozy and, and give them food that's not stretching them too much. So I said Anglo-French with a bit of Italian. So look, we'll be making tortellinis, capolacis and changing mm, the pasta lovely. regularly. But lots of pie work. Mm. Um, lots of pickling and smoking Gosh, and curing. It's so comforting. Yeah, it? absolutely. So we have a couple so of pies on, but we'll be doing all kinds of cuts of meat on the grill. So we have a rabata grill, which is very much the energy of barbacoa, where yes. there was, you know, it's pretty much all wood fired. It was all coal and wood fired um, cooking. So um, beautiful cuts of meat, 
Um, the fish will mainly, if not nearly all, be on the specials board, mm -hmm. um, other than scallops that come down from Scotland alive uh, five days a week. British cheesemakers, even my local chocolate shop, like they're one of a few bean-to-bar chocolate shops where they're Lovely. buying sacks of beans from all over the world, roasting, conching, tempering, mm. and making all these chocolates. So when you finish a meal here, you'll get my version of like an after eight, which will be like a, a bunch of different flavors, but all just... Yeah, we just want to do good things. It sounds great. Yes, and you will yes. rotate the menu, right? You'll yeah. change it around and get seasonal things. I noticed fallow venison, very yeah. on the pulse there yeah. with the sustainability thing. Yeah, well, venison's a problem, a mm. massive problem. And, and we, I mean, really, I mean, if you, no disrespect to my chef colleagues, but there's, you know, I have someone that works full time for us saying what is sustainable and what isn't. So I'm told that you, we can't buy squid. You know, cuttlefish, there's only a few places you can get it. Yep. You know, and so we're like, they're on the menus everywhere. There's people still serving eel that really shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Um, yeah. So um, we, even the good people have got to catch up on like, <laughs> sustainability is about having it for tomorrow. So true. In a sustainable way. So um, true. So uh, yeah, it, it means that us chefs have to change what we serve. I'm not trying to be holier than thou. It's just you're either in or you're out. Totally. And like... There's a little bit of lip service going on around saying the right things, but the menu's kind of saying something else. So look, I'm not saying we're perfect, but we we definitely try. And like, we should all be serving deer. We should all be serving veal. We should all be um, serving goat. Uh, like, you know, if you're well, eating, you're talking to an if, Indian, Jimmy, if you're eating of goat's cheese, you should be eating goat. Put goat um, on the menu. We're all yeah. here. <laughs> and there's so many ways to serve it. So um, we're just getting going. We're feeling our feet. Great. You know, we're tentatively coming back in. And, and the point of the menu isn't, like, my job's not to take you into the new world. It's mm -hmm. not to challenge you. It's like, I want you to have a kind of, I want to, I want you to, I want it to be predictable. Like, I want to value predictability. Like, I know, I know, he'll have me covered, you know, depending on whatever meal I'm in. So if you want to go for little light, delicate, interesting salads, a bit unexpected, we, we can do that um, with something, you know, some gorgeous cured meats with it. Yeah, we, if we want some amazing fish, simply cooked, we can do Lovely. that. A little handmade pie, we'll take that. Um, there's a little bit of like retro sort of like liver and bacon done I good. I did see, I did see. And you're leading very much with the produce, with the ingredients, yeah. which is lovely as well. You painted such a gorgeous picture of life above this rumbling pub yeah. that was full of life. Very and, much so. and I know, I read somewhere that you started helping in the pub kitchen from when you were five. Uh, about eight. About eight. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I hope all the preteens are listening, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. No, well, my parents. dad was like a, he was, he loves people to work. Mm. If, if, if I ever had friends come around and they were sitting down, he'd get, you could see him getting agitated because it was like untapped in resource. Yes, exactly. Like, what are you, you know, sitting around for? He used to, dad used to wake me up in the morning and, um, if he, in the summertime, if the windows were open and he'd clean out the front of the, he'd have amazing flowers everywhere. And um, he'd kind of, in those days, everyone was smoking. So he'd be sweeping all the cigarette butts. And um, he used to water all these potted plants. And he used to put the hose in, in my bedroom and squirt me and tell me to get out of bed because people <laughs> die in bed. Come on, son, let's have a I job. Love the sound but it was, of him. It's kind of, you know, he was amazing. Like people used to send, now I'm a parent. Like you have these beautiful children that you bring up and you love them so much. And then like hormones kick in and they turn into such monsters. And it's so emotional for parents because when it happens, it's like a bereavement and it's so painful. And um, I remember my dad, I, I didn't understand it then, but you'd have dads with a look like mine 
handing these like 16-year-old girls and boys over to my dad. Just to, and it was just like a look of desperation saying, please. And dad used to put them on the, on, on the buffet where we would serve customers. And in one week, confidence up. They've learned a section. They're diligent. They know all the things and all the dishes. They'd be cutting desserts and making Love sandwiches. That. Hello, And the beautiful thing about a pub, again, was it was old people, young people, rich people, poor people, mm-hmm. sports people, um, farmers. Like, like, everyone was welcome. And then, so, like, so there was always young people learning in the pub. I, it was so good for us. And all of, for us young people, and I was one of them, we talk about it today. Like, it was, we always had pocket money. If we had pocket money, we could buy our trainers and our outfits. Um, we could go out. We could get on the local bus that came through once a week. Um, and do you know what I mean? But I it was, do, I but, do. But I think that the idea that a pub is sort of a centre of a community and people share, everyone's welcome. And I thought it was normal, but of course I was wrong. Dad was feeding amazing food in this pub when it was typically scampi in a basket. So if you look on the menu, there is scampi in a basket. Yes. And a very brief story for your listeners is like, scampi in a basket was a cliche dish for pubs because you could cook it in a fryer. But what we're doing here is like the original scampi in the basket wasn't minced white fish, bycatch, nothing wrong with bycatch. Um, it wasn't monkfish, which it became. And it wasn't prawns, which it became. Which it then became, um, yes. It was originally Dublin Bay prawn, which is a langoustine. So we have original scampi in a basket here. We're doing the old school tartar sauce recipe, but with a remoulade. So very, very wafer thin, like matchstick um, celeriac. Um, portion of hand cut chips, panned uh, 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 langoustines, um, fried in beef tallow. Gosh. Like served with half a lemon. Like it's badass. It sounds So it's incredible. like a front beyond dish done good, it's done, done proper. It's done, done really and good. You're making me very hungry, by the yeah. way. I want to try these. Like yeah, immediately. Well, if, if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. Tell me what it was like eating at home. So you had this, it, I love the sound of your father, by the way. I feel like he needs to be unleashed on my two teenagers. Yeah. So if he's going, if he's available, uh, please send him our way. But tell me what you ate at home. What were your well, family my home was the like? pub. So we, we we did eat off the menu. But interestingly, the, the pub opened from like quarter to 12 till quarter to three. Then it would close and it would open at quarter to six until, I guess, 11, last orders. 
So we'd be closed for two hours wow. be- between the shifts. Um, and then mum would always do dinner at five o'clock. So she was a good cook. Mum was a wicked cook. Dad was a professional chef. Mum was a great cook. Uh, what would it be? It could be anything from you know, the cliche stuff in Britain. So uh, spaghetti bolognese, lasagnas, mm-hmm. cannellonis. But often it would be things just like we'd have fettuccine or tagliatelle on the menu, simple tomato sauce, mm. some steamed place. Really, really simple Quite stuff. Simple, lovely. Um, lamb chops. But mm. I mean, it's kind of simple cooking, like slightly deconstructed versions of what was on the menu downstairs. Gotcha. Was there a favorite dish? Do you remember one Sunday? Me growing up. I think, I think like the family roast, oh, which was like yeah. a religion every Sunday. And because we only had this little two hour window, like we would be around the table, five o'clock, roast lamb, roast beef, roast pork, roast chicken, all the trimmings. Um, we did largely, I mean, mum and dad, I mean, dad went to the market, fish market and the veg market like twice a week. But um, a lot of produce did come locally, mm-hmm. mainly the meat and the eggs and the game. There was a geezer that used to come in and he'd have like 20 pigeons on the front of his bike. He'd have a little <laughs> fag hanging out of his mouth. Love that. And like, he'd give us the pigeons and then we'd give him a pint. And that was the currency. That's incredible. Um, and I'm sure, <laughs> see, I wouldn't be allowed to do that. Because no, of you really food wouldn't. standards, but that's that is. I don't the real, try it, JB. Please. The, well, no, Liz. <laughs> the, I mean, it's it's a shot pigeon, so that's it's it's interesting. Like if you go to if you go to America, you can never ever eat game in a restaurant, ever. It's always farmed because yeah. the meat industry doesn't want like for the co- the meat industry doesn't want the cost of a bullet. I did not or know a cat to to undermine their frankly cheap hormone pumped meat Industrial and, I, and, and I'm not being campaigning like that's true so um in Britain and in Europe we're very lucky like even in Britain you're only ever 30 miles from a game dealer like anything that gets shot can go into that processing anything from there can go so into true. restaurants mm-hmm. so from from all the different types of deers mm-hmm. um to um you know woodcock pigeon uh, grouse snipe we've lost some of that haven't pigeon, we do you think we need to duck, re Get, reacquaint ourselves with game. Yeah. I think that's a real lost our, opportunity our, there. Yeah, our, it's only three generations back. Like our ancestors ate a very wide mm-hmm. selection of meat and fish, actually. Like Britain consumes two thirds of the world um, cod, you know, and haddock. Like we, we, we have five fish that we eat primarily. Well, that's the you whole know. food diversity so, thing, isn't yeah, it? No, we're so not we are, very we're very much edited by the supermarkets. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I think like the idea of eating game and by the way, game is uh, it helps the countryside. It helps the farmers. It's it's without question more nutritious because these are f- obviously free range. They're having, uh, you know, largely yes, a, a, a wild diet. Mm-hmm. If you analyze their nutrition, it's extraordinary. And uh, yeah, like these are a pest for the farmers. So there's always you don't want to kill them all. No. That's not the plan. The idea is that you control, and then the control ends up in restaurants Great. like ours and, yeah. and others. And, and look, there is some, there's some amazing chefs around the country that celebrate game extraordinarily well. And, and I think probably the story is that we probably all need to do it a bit more. Mm. And um, from just a little bit in a stew to a, a, a ravioli filling, or, or, or you know, actually uh, we're just um, we're doing a lamb shoulder and goose shepherd's pie at the moment which is like one of the best things i've eaten in a long time it's so good that must Um, taste so lovely and rich such a british 
it's the original Christmas dish. Sure. And um, hardly anyone really cooked it. I mean, the Tudors it. did that thing, didn't they? The bird and the bird and the bird and the bird and the bird yeah. that they then wrapped yeah. in a pie. But the, what's interesting about the goose is it can't be mass produced. It can't be intensively. If you intensively farm them, if you put them in a shed, they die. So chickens can be treated badly, like turkeys can be treated badly. See, Goose won't. So if, if like, so if you're ever in doubt, things like sheep, you know, lamb is always lamb, a good one because, because yes. again, they're always up a mountain somewhere or down on a kind of marshland. Um, you know, goose is really good. Um, you know, goats amazing, and and we still like. The bad rep of veal is still here from 40 years ago. So Totally. So I'm going to have to bring you to the biggest family meal that is incoming very soon. Christmas, Christmas is coming. Yeah. Um, so uh, Christmas, what happens around your table now? What do you do, well, Jamie? I get very excited. Uh, I, I, I actually tend to skew it. It's like I do an Anglo-Italian hybrid. I, I quite like... I, I'm actually um, a turkey farmer. All my turkeys come from inside a wood. So it's free range in a wood, not free range on a bit of land. It's in a wood. Gotcha. And um, yeah, so we did three and a half thousand this year in 10 acres. And um, yeah, I love it. So we do a turkey, of course. Right. Uh, I also do a porchetta and I also do a goose. And then I really go and I want leftovers. So I, sure. I cook too much. So I have the problem of leftovers, which is the best problem in the world. It's the best problem. Um, and do you repurpose them or do you eat them as is the next day? Everything. All of it. So on Christmas Day, and it's really nice, like probably for 15 years I've done something like this. But everyone, no, I just do turkey. No, no, I just do turkey. And then I have a bit of goose. Like, oh, I'll have a bit of goose. Yeah, I'll have a bit of goose. Now over the years, now everyone's like, I'll have a bit of everything. Bit of everything. And, just um, get it and out And actually, there. Cook, cooking turkey and goose and serving it next to each other is, is genius because they're so different. Ah, and I cook amazing. the goose so the skin's really crispy and the meat is just melting in your mouth. Ugh. And then a um, bit of stuffing, of course, potatoes, veg, yeah, all the trimmings. Sounds amazing. And so the, in terms of Christmas traditions, is that your tradition? Would you say the big sort of do the big birds, get them out there, have lots of food on the table the next day? Yeah, I would say it's just like a, a supersonic classic British roast Love it. on steroids. And I, in my weird little job, we always do like get ahead gravy day about two weeks before Christmas Day. So we've, over the years, we've chipped, chipped, chipped away at doing Get Ahead Gravy Day. We do it on all the radio stations. It sounds Amazing. completely... It, it sounds, sounds bonkers. bonkers. But, but we get hundreds of thousands of people making their gravy before, and then they put it in the freezer, and then we use that to make gravy on the big day. Because uh, And actually, it's so good that... And it's, I know it sounds weird, but go with it. Um, okay. What, there's no, the, the best way to make gravy is with gravy. Interesting. So when you're resting the meats uh -huh. and you deglaze the tray, yes. instead of deglazing with water or stock, right. we deglaze with we, wine and gravy. The gravy that um, was sitting in the freezer, yeah, yeah, yeah. defrosted, which has had time. And the point is, is that there's the worst thing that can happen on Christmas Day is running out of gravy. Yes. So the free pillars, the best roast potatoes, the best gravy, and a nice succulent bird or roasting two. joint yeah a bird or two in your bird case or three, yeah. <laughs> excellent yeah. um our theme this year is make it meaningful like yep. make christmas meaningful and is there something you do to make christmas meaningful especially with the kids and all the gifts and you know do you have any tips or suggestions oh i mean like i don't know really it's like we use christmas like me and jules take christmas really really seriously 
not specifically as a religious sense, but definitely as a time to really focus on gratitude and looking at the year, looking at yourself, looking at next year, to just just to be, to, to, to love. And, and I know it sounds like romantic stuff, but I've got a big family, like, they're all different. They're all wild. They're everywhere. And it's just like, it's a really nice opportunity to reset. Um, obviously, especially now with social media more than ever, like there's a lot of really horrible stuff happening mm. in the world. And I, I don't know how you feel about it, but um, I remain an optimist about many, many things. But I also think that's a responsibility. Absolutely. Like, like it's very easy to get caught into the sort of news cycle of just darkness. And I understand, I understand it. I get it. I realize, but it's, I, I also think like from that to huddling up as a family to be grateful, but also that you got, a, I, this is how I feel anyway. I think every day when I go to work, I have to be optimistic and happy and full of energy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise everything falls apart. Totally. And I, try and teach that to my kids like this is a choice it's a job like you don't just it doesn't just happen you have to consciously make an effort to go out there every day and the next year and I know it sounds like I'm trying I'm not trying to be worthy or, or no I think, but I think I think that's what Christmas is about it's gratitude re- is a lovely yeah, sentiment isn't I think it gratitude is the sentiment mm, and togetherness mm. and gratitude yeah, and great. and look I mean I think certainly one of the nice things I mean, they have Thanksgiving in the States, which I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I've learned about over the years. And it's kind of cute because they're sort of saying, like, no matter what religion, like, let's get amongst it together now without any conflicts of interest, give or take, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I kind of, I, I, I'm learning about that. But I mean, Britain's such a patchwork quilt of, of cultures. cultures yes. And I really, I, I love it. I enjoy it. So I love seeing how the Christmas table is through marriage, through love, through ro- romance, through religion, <laughs> through through um, immigration, through whatever word you can put in front. I love how those tables are just changing and, and merging and fusing. Absolutely. And, and all the amazing ingredients and spices and chili paste. Yeah. And there's so much you yeah, can yeah, do yeah. with all of that. Yeah, Aww. I mean, I, I, like, I, I've got five kids unmarried. But like, if one of them was to marry an Indian boy or girl, like, immediately I'll be going, right, I wonder what Christmas you'll is going to be, be like. You'll be going straight <laughs> to India. That's yeah. what you'll be doing. That's And actually, it's, it's interesting because even when people pretend or try to be patriotic about a British Christmas, traditionally, most of it's got nothing to do with us anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Mold wine, the spices are from thousands of miles years away. Years and years, Turkey exactly. Turkey comes from nowhere near Europe. You know, <laughs> yes. it's from South America. So um, oh, all these that. things that we, you know, but I, I love that about food, the story of food. And That's I know you love great. it as well. Oh, I absolutely love it. Yeah, we could be chatting for hours, but we are now going to focus you. We're going to do confessions. Yeah. So, and then a few quick fire questions. Uh, because I sense that we could be talking forever if this continues at the current pace. So, confessions, worst ever cooking disaster? Probably the most dramatic one was I was about 15 years old at my mum and dad's pub and I was looking after the pastry that particular time and uh, we used to make everything on site. And I, one of our big desserts, which is a combo, is um, banoffee pie. So, short cross pastry... Um, with um, we take the the condensed milk and boil it in a bain marie for like several hours, 
a little sort of banana just underripe, just on purpose yes. with a little lime juice and then a little um, slightly coffeed creme chantilly mm. and then roasted almonds with made wet with icing sugar on the top. A delicious, badass. So good. And I let the bain-marie, big, massive pan, I let the bain-marie boil dry. <gasps> and then one by one, in between shifts, thank the Lord, um, one by one, the cans exploded. And the, no. I, I, luckily, it was in that two-hour gap that I told you about. <gasps> and because it would have disfigured someone for life. It would sure. have. Yeah, it it's bad. basically hot toffee, isn't it? Yeah, and it would have stuck to you and it, and it would have <sighs> scalded you, 10th degree burn, and it would have been a nightmare. But luckily, no one. But what happened is I walked into a kitchen with stalactites of caramel <gasps> and... Oh my god! I tried to clear it up as quickly as I could, but I got such a in. And um, yeah, that's probably my that most dramatic, utterly um, horrific. I think second to that, working for uh, Eric Chaveau when we were at, he was at Fulham Road, and he'd made this incredible langoustine oil mm. by roasting off the shells, and I can't quite work it out, but somehow I spilt it, and that was quite frightening. Yeah. Eric Chaveau is like one of the greatest French cooks, you yes. know, of recent times. <laughs> but he was but, pleased with yeah, you. <laughs> no, I mean, he was kind of kind, but like, do you know when you just, you're so like, you feel so embarrassed and ashamed of yourself. Like, <laughs> oh dear. It's, it, it's even worse than if they shout. That sounds awful. Um, food you've never tried? Uh, I've tried a lot of food. I mean... Um, Insects? Yeah, I've tried a few. Yeah, I mean, they can be good. I mean, most things can be good. Mm. Um, and, and people don't believe that. But no. like most like most stuff can be good. Yes. I mean, I've I've eaten... There's a few things that probably we don't want to talk about that I've eaten that like is probably my limit. Mm. Um, let's just call them reproductive organs. Yes, um, I think we could draw a line under that one fairly quickly. Yeah, yes. I, and yeah, like that's not really... That didn't eat so well, but like... Tripe, I've had amazing tripe. Mm. I've, had, I've had amazing offal, like so conventional offal, not too, the other yeah. offal. No, no. Um, I can't think of one thing I haven't been able to okay, enjoy. Well, that sounds great. Um, guilty um, pleasure then. Tell me about your guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure is a packet of salt and vinegar hula hoops, a slice of Lancashire cheese or Westcombe cheddar, ideally both. Right. And you get a little thin slice of it and you put it on a board and then you take each hula hoop and you stab it into it like a little cookie cutter thus empowering it with a little nugget of delicious artisan farmhouse <laughs> british cheese and um on the side i'll have a little single malt whiskey and i'm telling you those three things together with a fire or a view and peace and quiet no kids is a thing of joy that sounds incredible i'm going to try that although i'm a salted hula hoops kind of person yeah. when i grew up in the pub dad i don't know why but dad would only ever buy salt and vin uh, ready salted crisps all the other pubs had like beef and onion like they'd have um when i grew up there was this is true there was crisps flavor hedgehog flavor What's yeah hedgehog. hedgehog hedgehog like i mean i mean don't cook or kill hedgehogs I have never, but they yeah, used to no no they're supposed to be hedgehogs. delicious Are if they? you look in the old cookbooks badger yeah, hedgehog yes. they were eat squirrel 
and if you think about what they're eating, like, That's like, no bad like thing, squirrel right? has a better diet than any meat that we're buying from any supermarket. Like, yes, anyway, let's get over that. But <laughs> anyway, so I had hedgehog flavor crisps growing up, but my dad would only ever buy ready salted. So boring. It's quite boring. Um, so I would just. Uh, I'm going to try that with salt I mean, and vinegar. Yeah, I mean, How about to be that? honest, your your idea is more classy than mine. Fair. But mine's not really about class. No, yours really isn't. But we are, we're going to have to try it, though. Yeah. It's a good guilty pleasure, that one. Uh, Christmas quickfire questions. You're not allowed to think too much okay. about these. Sprouts, love or hate? Love. Good. Uh, Yorkshire pudding at Christmas? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Favorite Christmas tipple? Whiskey. Okay. Who are you kissing under the mistletoe? My first wife. Who you just remarried and it looked gorgeous. <laughs> well done. Right answer. What's in your Christmas sandwich? Pork, goose, and and turkey. All the birds. With a with a with a nice slaw, heavy on the mustard. Sounds good. <laughs> Worst Christmas present you've ever received. I got bought a um, tank top from my uncle, and it was so bad and so naff that it was so funny. So I wore it all day, and it just made people laugh all day. And therefore, it was a great present, but a terrible present. A terrible present. And my my sister had the same. So we just put them on. It was so bad. Good. Um, most overrated Christmas food? Most overrated mm-hmm. Christmas food? Um, oh, controversial. Um, Christmas pudding. Really? I can't stand it. <gasps> Gets right on my tiites. Wow. That uh, is a so shocker. I have a Christmas pudding that I will eat, that I do love. And I took the traditional recipe and I kind of merged it with my nan's pound pudding recipe. And I lightened it the hell up. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I just think it's too, it's too heavy. Dense, and after yeah. all that food, it just sits on your tum tum. Like I get why you, I get why people like it. But like, maybe a thin sliver with some Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire again. Lancashire, it's yes. actually a, a hell of a combination. But that's like a different kettle of fish, like a big chunk with a load of cream and custard. Brandy butter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I understand, but it's too much. Favorite Christmas movie? Goonies. Top choice. Now, a final. Or Bad Santa. Have Bad you seen Santa's Bad Santa? The best. Oh my yeah. God, I love it. Uh, final quick fire question. You have 10 seconds, and I hope I'm someone is counting. How many gifts from the song 12 Days of Christmas can you remember? And I'm going to start you off. You None. know this? Well, no, None. Well, I can help you. None. Hey, even I won't remember, you know. I'm going to have to I'm really look bad. at my I, phone I'll tell you to a story. myself. On, on, <laughs> on, at Christmas time, about 20 years ago, there was a show called The Big Breakfast. And they had two families at two airports. And they were both going to get a Caribbean holiday and have their mortgage paid off. And I was plucked out. And they had to guess how many things I was going to get right. And they asked me questions like that. I can't answer them. I don't know famous people's names and I don't know <laughs> things like that and it. if you look at the the looks that I got from this family because I was terrible so I apologize for my bad answering not at all you but are an encyclopedia I'm on consist- sustainability yeah, but consistently bad on on pop culture and celebrities <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> and, and songs ah oh, that's lovely I was going to end by asking you what you're optimistic about um I'm optimistic that if you give humans and communities good clear information they often do good and often wonderful things and for that i remain optimistic because i think stupid stuff is happening a lot these days because people are lied to i I believe that people are innately kind when they're not lied to and misled and 
the little boy in me that grew up in that pub, which for me was like a like a reduced consomme of co- community, like mm-hmm. honestly, like yeah, like that concept of everyone being welcome, and you can't, you know, the idea of a community, a street, a village, a town, and where like we kind of got to get back to basics, I think, really. Mm-hmm. So whether mm-hmm. it's London or whether it's local towns or whether it's Britain, like some weird stuffs happened in the last mm-hmm. five six years, and like we got to fix it. And the only thing that can fix it is, I think, being optimistic, being kind, choosing to be positive. So, yeah, I I remain very optimistic. I love this country. and I think we um, are optimistic about your optimism and good luck (laughs) with the restaurant, Jamie. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Food Podcast. For more festive recipes and inspiration, please visit bbcgoodfood.com. Merry Christmas. In the next episode, we'll be discussing homemade Christmas gifts. The perfect way to make your Christmas meaningful. Don't forget about our bonus recipe episode out on Thursday, where we'll be sharing how to make Jamie Oliver's Get Ahead Gravy.